Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I am Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their story. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Inside Data Center podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by Rob Elder. Rob's the VP of, of data centers for Bulk Infrastructure. Um, so, hi, Rob. Thank, thanks for taking the time to speak to us today. Much appreciated. Hey, um, so do you want to just give everyone a quick intro on kind of who you are, what you do, and then we'll, uh, then we'll go into a bit about how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so um, currently in terms of my uh, role in the data centre sector, I'm a VP of the data centre business at Bulk Infrastructure. So we're a Nordic data centre operator, uh, but also have a business line in uh, fibre networks and uh, also industrial real estate. So, um, so yeah, I've uh, been with Bulk for uh, nearly nine months. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting to try something a bit new working for an operator. But, uh, yeah, I've got a background in data centers, been in the sector for, I don't know, at least 15 years or so. Um, so, uh, yeah, and it's uh, obviously changed quite a lot. That's it, yeah, and rapidly changing still. Indeed. Um, so what I, what I tend to like to do is go back kind of right to the beginning just to see how you, how you got into the sector, really. Um, I doubt you spent your childhood dreaming of, of working in the, in the data center industry, like I didn't spend my childhood dreaming of, of working in recruitment. So how, how was it you first made the move into data centers? Uh, well, I mean, I guess similar story, I suppose, partly given sort of the generation and, uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't something that uh, obviously I even really understood or knew anything about when, when I first, I suppose, encountered data centers. Um, you know, I look back on the, my, my uh, my father was a head teacher and he, he lived his whole life with a secretary and a, and a notepad and a pen. So, you know, technology wasn't really something I even grew up with or, or, or understood. So, um, you know, actually, I, I, had a, I had a background in predominantly sales and marketing and had worked with, uh, you know, a, a relatively small agency in the south of England, helping different customers with their go to market strategy and, you know, how to approach customers and develop value propositions and, and all that kind of stuff. And that was a real mixture of different types of companies, some software, uh, but it was all business to business. And um, th- that kind of platform just kind of led me into, I really enjoy, you know, kind of sales and marketing and helping customers, you know, um, overcome their challenges. And, and then I actually just stumbled across an opportunity with a uh, with a company based uh, in, again, the south of England, who were an electrical contracting company, but just started doing turnkey computer room type projects and um, my, my job with them was very much to come in and try to bring together three or, or so different service lines around their you know, electrical contracting, computer rooms and uh, maintenance. And actually, at the time, it was, yeah, it was some large power installations for the likes of uh, the banks and things. But actually, it was from a computer perspective, it was just small, small computer rooms. And um, that was really how I got into the space. Um, and then I guess from there, it's, you know, my career and the, the, the whole sector's evolved. So I sort of suppose I've, I've been part of some of that transition and some of that, um, some of that evolution. Yeah, because you started that was back in 2004, wasn't it, when you joined Keysource? Yeah, that's right. And um, I think at the time, you know, as a small business, you've got an opportunity to get involved in lots of different things and um, with lots of different customers and, and working with end users, you know, when I say customers who had their own data centers, you've got a real understanding of what their challenges were and how, you know, where exactly the technology met the met the FM industry, if you like, or the FM sector and the real estate team. And so, 
you know, I was able to kind of actually, once we'd sorted out the positioning piece was help was then about going out and meeting customers and starting to yeah, do some of the sales part, you know, consultative selling, listening to their needs, not just the business challenges, but the technical challenges and starting to put solutions together. And I felt, you know, that was, I suppose, probably over the, the next three to four years was where I learned a huge amount. Um, and I guess that's when I started to think, well, this is the, you know, the sector, if you like, and then there's an opportunity to, I suppose, progress in a career in this, this space. Um, yeah, because I, I first started recruiting in it in about, I think it was about 2006, um, and it was mainly financial institutions, uh, the, the mobile operators. So the clients were quite quite different back then as well, I guess, from your perspective. Your customers were different to who they are now. Yeah, and actually in the early stages, we were working with, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies, some higher education, you know, private private companies who weren't building massive data centers. You know, we were building 500 kilowatt to sort of two megawatt, I'd say on-premise type data centers. And, and actually for some of the smaller data center operators who were building again, you know, the hundreds of kilowatts into the into the low megawatts. So these weren't big, I'd say behemoth data centers that, that the banking and finance community were, um, you know, well, I suppose to some extent were dominating the sector around that time. But, 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 but what it meant was actually you were always trying to find different innovative solutions to solve different challenges. And working in these weird and wonderful buildings, you had to kind of overcome, you know, odd things. I remember doing one job where we, we you know, we had to build this data center around a toilet block, for example. It's like, you know, and you're in a you know 1960s building with loads of asbestos, and you know the aspirations to do something with you know world class PUE and high density and you're like well how do you solve that challenge and then that 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 i think was really fun and actually kind of led you to have to work with people to find solutions for things that probably hadn't really been done before and um it wasn't on a massive scale but you actually found yourself you know understanding the relationship between all of the different elements that go into you know not just designing and building but actually selling that and developing the solution and bringing different stakeholders on board and so um so yeah so it was it was a real mix you know and as we got a bit bigger yeah we started to work with some of the bigger operators and actually you know found at that time it was then much more around how can you do things in a repeatable way um and um you know, I thought that that's that that's kind of where we started to get into the modular solutions and all that kind of stuff. So I think you know, there's sort of different phases of evolution, and as a business, we you know, we we kind of matured and grew, and I think that was something which made us as a team, you know, learn and, and develop as well. So, so yeah, it's it's a different different uh, different customers still, and 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 at the time had different requirements, but um, but certainly wasn't dominated as it is today by the by the current crop of uh, of data center companies. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting as well that you talk about kind of reusing old buildings and modularization, et cetera. And, and that's basically a lot of the conversations that I'm having today uh, about how we're going to expedite quicker into modularization and how we're going to have to look in, in the tier one locations at reusing old buildings and will the commercial premises be a good one now that less more people are working at home, et cetera. So, it's quite interesting how all industries, I think, when you when you actually look at, they go through cycles of mm. the latest the latest craze, and eventually it works its way back to a cycle you were in previously, just at a different stage of technology, I guess. So. Yeah, I think the th- I think the the thing at the time was you know most enterprise customers at the you know in the probably at the 
I don't know, back into the 20, you know, 2000, the noughties, if you like, was, was still kind of, we want to build something on premise and we might put some stuff in Cola. I mean, obviously Cola, Cola location has been around for a long time, but you know, I think the the shift to cloud has really driven this. Actually, we need to get this data center yeah. off of our own premises. So I think, you know, um, the, what what we were doing at the time and a lot of organizations do just doesn't really exist today and i think that's that's completely the right approach but but you got a lot you got to do a lot of firsts you know i think we did one of the very first in row high density solutions we did one of the very first implementations of data center infrastructure management for an enterprise customer in the uk at scale you know those kind of things and you just sort of learn lots of different things um whereas you know when you start getting into the bigger you know multi-megawatt tens of megawatt hyperscale or or um, co-location facilities you know a lot of this stuff is more proven technology it's more repeatable it's more like you say it's more a case of how do you apply that in a, in a particular building or in a particular um in a particular location so um so yeah i mean it's obviously changed a lot but i guess you know that that grounding for me in terms of career you 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 got focused on the solution and i'm not an engineer by by, by trade but you know i i found myself becoming you know, a generalist uh, in terms of being able to understand all the different facets that go into the data center and um, not just in design and construction, but also operations, you know, and actually we, you know, we were involved in mobilizing new maintenance agreements, which, which didn't, it, it didn't exist before. And um, again, you know, understanding the importance therefore of operations when you're looking at design, everyone talks about that, but actually having lived through it, you experience that and you learn from your mistakes and you, you sort of think back actually that's really important because i know from experience that i've been through that process and it was it was better if we did it a different way so you know i think that was quite a useful thing for me to be able to um to learn and and, and experience i suppose yeah do you remember the obviously we're going for a bit of a strange time at the moment but do you remember the effects the financial crash had on the sector back in sort of 2008 or whenever it was seems so long ago now <laughs> um i mean to be honest I, from 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 my perspective it didn't have a big impact on our on on what, what i was doing at the time and what we were doing at the time we didn't have any customers in in really in that sector um you know so i i, don't, I didn't really see a huge impact i think i think across the industry it made people realize that um you know, building these massive data centers for some of the financial institutions probably wasn't the most sensible um, yeah, approach. Not a, not a sustainable industry. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the I suppose you, you, looking back and having been involved subsequently in some of those those facilities and some of those uh, those companies, you know, there was just perhaps not a focus on on value for money, and there wasn't really a focus on. Um, total cost of ownership and all of those things we talk about today as being you know normal so um i think the probably the 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 the, the biggest impact was on on the people that you know relied on that sector for a large proportion of their business and um you know actually in in hindsight it's probably shifted much more to outsourcing and colo and, and more awareness on innovation and value for money which you know in the sector we were in and helping customers find worked very well and actually we probably saw more people wanting to engage with us because we'd been banging the drum around efficiency and uh, you know those times sort of total cost of ownership things for a little while. So, so no, I didn't. I don't. Um, from from my own experience, I didn't see a big a big impact. 
Yeah, I think that's why that's why I always like to ask people, especially at the moment, because all all you hear and all you see is negative stories, and, and there's always positive stories out there. They just don't get the message. Never seems to reach uh, reach the public, shall we say? Mm. So, I think it's good. You know, we're we're seeing similar things, and I re- I recall back in that period that um, the contractors that were operating in that space took a really big hit. But those that were more specialist, more niche, and were offering a solution that actually was cost-saving or more sustainable, still maintained a level of business and similar to how how we're seeing things now. You know, if you've got an offering that can benefit a customer, you will still see you know success. Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, at the time we were growing quite a bit. We just started delivering some bigger projects. You know. Um, we, I remember we, I think around 2007, 2008, we won like the first EU Code of Conduct Award and people were just starting to become more aware of, you know, the green grid had just established PUE and, you know, actually being at the forefront of the innovation and the solutions around that, I think, you know, was a good good place to be and um, it served us well, I think. So, so no, I, I agree. I think um, it's, it's important to focus on some of the positives and actually you know um, there are a lot of positives in those situations but you know clearly the the, the focus is on the perhaps the bigger players who, who who are seeing the biggest impact um negatively but um but no yeah it's um interesting to draw parallels i suppose yeah exactly yeah that's it just uh i'm one of those people that likes to compare things and read i read too much think too much so i always like to ask a question um <laughs> you sp- you spent quite a quite a while at key source i think it's about 11 years yeah sounds about right yeah (laughs) and worked your way up can you kind of remember how you sort of made your progression in in the business yeah i mean it just sort of happens organically really there was no master plan um you know it's just a case of i think you have to I suppose I found that you know being able to work in different areas and, and have a focus in different parts of a business gives you a very broad and good understanding and you know when you spend a lot of time with customers trying to solve customer solutions if any successful business needs to understand their customer and also needs to deliver value to their customers and so you know if you if you have a good enough understanding of that and can relate that to different types of technical solutions then I think you can do well and 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 that was the case for me at at Keysource and you know, being able to bring in the right people at the right time to support you and knowing that you don't have all the answers is a big part of making that a team effort. So um, I suppose I always built my my approach on not knowing all the answers, but knowing what question to ask. And, and often I found myself in a room with lots of very intelligent, very capable people uh, who but I was able to ask a question that maybe they hadn't thought to ask because it was either too obvious or because it was, you know, it it, it was a bit different. And I think that's d- delivered some real sort of different approaches to things, which, uh, so, you know, that, that to me, just, I just enjoy trying to approach things in that way and looking at how we can best help, you know, what our customers, depending on who they are. So, yeah, I think if you, if you have that approach in many organizations and you work with people, then hopefully you can do well. And, and that's what I found. Um, like we were saying earlier regarding before we before we started recording about you don't have to be a, an engineer to you know to be successful in the industry and i think maybe having that mindset where you've come from a different background actually 
helps you ask those questions that somebody else won't ask because they feel it seems obvious or you know everyone you should I should know the answer so maybe I, I won't ask ask the question yeah and it's difficult I mean you know when you specialize in something or you've got a, a particular focus clearly you need to focus on that area and sometimes you lose perspective of well how does that relate to something else um so I think you know you need people who have a generalist approach to things and um you need to have clearly a, a good understanding and an interest in the detail but only as a way of helping inform how you can look at the bigger picture so yeah that's how I approached it and um you know I, I find myself um constantly trying to find the best approach to deliver things of value to the customer so you you have to be aware of all different elements of what you're trying to do um, I've never sold you know been involved in selling let's say product based solutions it's always yeah. been around um you know how you can help a customer overcome their challenges and whether that's you know how do I upgrade this electrical infrastructure to make it more resilient because these are my challenges you, you, you sometimes find yourself doing something completely different than what the customer anticipated which was replacing some switch gear you know but um so so yeah that's how that's how I approached it and um you know I think more recently you know with with after key source working a much very different business like CBRE, you know, I got exposed to much bigger customers and, and an international market. Um, but that grounding of being able to ask those questions and listen to the customer need and actually trying to shape things that fit with that requirement is, uh, is was, was very helpful, I think. And, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I've always, how I've always tried to approach things. Yeah, I was going to um, mention, obviously, you moved on to, so at the end of Keysource, you moved on to CBRE, and we'll, like you say, we're working with the larger the larger customers. I was going to ask you kind of what sort of what differences you found between working with those customers and working with the, the, the sort of smaller niche customers you were working with at Keysource. Yeah, I think the exposure that I had had to the whole detail and process was is hugely valuable and I suppose what I what I was keen to try to learn you know I always think if you go for your next move you need to go there not with a view that you can do the job but that you can actually learn something and you can grow as a person and, and, and in yeah. your career so I hadn't had a lot of experience in large project delivery at that stage and so I was keen to you know, apply more of my learning to that environment and learn some more things about large construction projects. And, you know, I think my grounding in design, because effectively Keysource were an in-house design and build company, um, and actually more on the M&E side, you know, that was that was what I took as my, my big learning. And then applying that into how data centers are constructed um, and the people that are involved in constructing them um, was you know, was a, was a good step forward for me really. And, um, yeah, we, yeah, we were able to focus on sort of, you know, having, having things which focus very much on the engineering and a live operational data center and all the risks and associated things to, to large scale construction projects. And then looking at, you know, not just the solutions, but when you get bigger projects, it's more about the people. Um, and, you know, we, we, you know, we know from from some of the projects we've worked on. You know, actually finding the right people that fit together to to build a team that makes the project successful is actually probably much. Well, I would say it's more important than than ticking the box with the people with the right qualifications. Um, yeah, I think definitely we find, and, and I find with the with those sort of hyperscale projects and those clients that 
finding the right I was talking to talking to a client every day actually and I was saying like finding the right personality is probably more important than finding the background and the, the qualifications most of the candidates that we would find or identify would tick the boxes to do the job but do mm. they have that personality and that mindset to operate on these hyperscale projects for what is a very demanding client and yeah. I think that's where a lot of people fall down and also I think that's what a lot of people don't see from the outside and they just see it's a yes it's a billion pound project but that's just 10 100 million pound projects you know it's that that's what you hear people say a lot but actually it's very different yeah yeah well I'd say it's 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 definitely more important I mean clearly you need to have the right experience or you need to have a relevant experience let's say it doesn't need to see you've done this before but you need to have relevant experience um but I think it's much more important about your approach and your personality and how you you know how you apply those your yourself and the skills you use to the task in hand and then how you interact with other people because you know I've seen lots of projects where the the and a lot of it's down to the way these projects are set up in the first place so you know it's very difficult to pinpoint one thing but i certainly see the people that are um experienced and successful in delivering these these uh these bigger projects and and, and are involved in it it's that it's them as individuals and the attitude and the approach they have that makes them successful not because you know they've got this degree in electrical engineering or they've got this experience in building multi-million dollar or you know 100 million dollar projects before um so so yeah i completely i completely agree with that and actually that was a big part of how we went about selecting different different people um so you know and we we made some mistakes and you learn from those things but that's something i say more more today is is about about the people um and, and I think a lot of that comes through challenge. When you're challenged on something or you don't know the answers, how do you work together to try and to try and find the right solution? And a lot of people, I think, find it difficult because they think they've got the answers. And I think there's quite a lot of um, the lack of you know, openness to be uh, maybe be a bit vulnerable and kind of you know say I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's exactly it's it's strange as well because the conversations we have or I have with some clients would be about you're reading too much into the CV, you know, you're looking for the, the CV to say absolutely everything that you want to say when actually if you speak to the guy or have a conversation with the lady, you know, they, they can do this job, their personality is brilliant, but they never get to that point. Whereas those larger corporations are more the opposite. You know, they, you can send a candidate that you think is absolutely perfect for the role and they turn them down because they just didn't quite have the right personality for the team they're in or the project they're on or the geographic, the location they're in. They look at it in a lot more, uh, I guess, slightly different to how your standard recruitment process works. Yeah. And you can see, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with, with many of those and I think it's different, right? If you, if you look at the sector today, you've got, let's say co-location businesses, which build a business out of, their ability to sell to customers right and yeah. i think i think that's 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 one group of people and, and the people in those environments need to recognize that you know the customer is the one that needs to be serviced here and you should gear yourself up as a business to accommodate their requirements and try and find the best way to deliver value and then you've got kind of almost the hyperscalers which is frankly they're 
the, the parts of the business to do this. They're just construction companies at the end of the day. And so, you know, there is a sector of this sector, you know, particularly when they're building their own, there's a sector of this community industry, which is just focused on churning out construction projects. And, you know, I've had some experience with working those with those teams and I can see ones that do really well and others that do less well. Um, but you then move into this co-location space where the hyperscalers meet with the co-location providers for these kind of, you know, more sort of quicker, let's say, eyeballs type deployments in and around these metro centers. And then you kind of have to mirror the two together because you've got, you know, hyperscalers procuring large amounts of co-location. So, so you know, I, I think my, my, my view on it has always been from a sort of sales perspective and from a customer perspective, you know, like trying to work out what's important and, um, you know, not just selling, but actually then delivering on your promise. And I think that's always the challenge when you're trying in the co-location space or in a service space, even CBRE or key sources, like there's no point in saying you can do something if you can't. And there's no point in you being in business if the people that work with you aren't able to deliver on the things you want to say that you can do. So I think, you know, that's why I think they're sort of, whilst we talk about this industry, there are actually some quite different and fundamentally different parts to this sector, which drive very different approaches to base, you know, the type of people that you need and, and how these projects are delivered, I think. Yeah, and I, we, we definitely find that. Say you, you'll speak to somebody and you'll think they're a hyperscale candidate or they're a colo candidate, or maybe they, they would be better with a, a more niche specialist contractor or consultant so you do i think over time you do start to work out where they best fit and hmm. i think that's probably where a lot of a lot of people struggle and, and a lot of candidates find that quite hard to understand because unless you've been in there like you say like unless you've had the experience like you have of working across the spectrum it's quite hard to understand how they all operate differently yeah and those nuances are actually quite significant and it's hard to put your finger on it. And I think, like you said, that's why it comes back to individuals. Because you can have sort of two people who are on the CV look very, very similar. But, you know, actually, if you dig into the detail and you understand those nuances and when you speak to them, you can quite clearly see, well, actually, you know, you, you clearly are perhaps more suited to this type of thing than this type of thing. But, uh, you know, I think it, it depends clearly what you're looking for. There's definitely the need for specialists doing these things. And then, you know, as you as you as you go to different areas there's a need for more generalists and I think you need to understand what you want and I think you need to understand as an individual what you want to do um and and you know therefore you approach those things I think you approach them quite differently yeah how did you find it going from someone like you know a specialist to a business the size of CBRE and the DCS side of it because obviously it's quite a drastic change from a what is a UK regional specialist, I guess, to a global data center conglomerate? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, again, you know, you make choices in your career about what you want to do. So not only learning a different type of the sector, but also um, for me wanting to work for, for a large company and experience working in a, you know, what is a massive business, uh, 70 or thousand employees. Um yeah, and I think it was a mixture of working for a for a big corporate, but actually, you know, at times it felt like a big startup. It, it you know, it was quite an entrepreneurial type environment. And actually, having been through that experience, um, you know, sat on a board of directors of a company, 
you know, had board meetings, been involved at, you know, one minute doing that and the next minute going to a site and trying to do, you know, a detailed analysis of something with my engineers about how we can solve a problem. You know, that kind of spectrum of experience, you can then you can lend your hand to things in a big company quite easily. One minute you can be having a strategic discussion with, you know, the CEO about how we shape this and we move in this direction. And then the next minute you can be talking to the site engineer about a problem we've got with some cooling. So, you know, it, it sort of felt like there was the potential to get involved in lots of things. Um, I think that the thing which is a challenge in a big business like that is it's very easy to just get a bit lost and uh, you can spend a lot of time uh, managing internal stakeholders and, and relationships rather than really getting involved in understanding customer needs and, um, you know, where I'd spent a lot of my time before. Um, so, so it was a, a real mixture really. So, you know, but I, it was a very, it's, it's it, at the time with even within CBRE now, what, which was what maybe four or so years ago I joined, you know, that was a fairly big, early beginning to their data center solutions business and and actually when i say startup i mean clearly within the framework of a massive business but was forming the data center group within the broader global workplace business and so didn't have all the answers and you were able to sort of shape the strategy and the team and the direction a bit so um yeah, that was good. And also for me, it was useful to go and work in an environment where there were lots of other people who, who who were really good at doing the things they were good at. So I got to learn a lot more from other people, which perhaps when you're working in a smaller business, there isn't as much opportunity to do. Um, yeah, so I think it's again. I think it's hard to understand the scale of that side of CBRE's business as well, isn't it? From the outside, I don't I don't think people realise quite how well spread they are geographically how large the team is and, and how many people actually work in that sector but equally like you say it's also hard to kind of co- get the concept of how quickly it's grown how it's gone from we do data centers a little bit <laughs> to we now have this huge global business unit that just does data centers yeah and how do you how do you share that you know capability across a broader business i mean when i joined you know cbre were very well established uh, managing some huge data centers and with some massive clients right and um but it was quite a, f- a facilities management focused um so you know the, the, it was how do you then share that knowledge and expertise and skill set um you know in a in a broader environment but you know and for me it was lots of learning right i mean there's 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 lots of things a business like that does and how it does it and why different customers engage with us here and don't over here and trying to find the best way to try and grow what I was responsible for, which was projects and consultancy within the data center group. Um, and and so, yeah, there's, but there's no one size fits. So I remember once going to a meeting and um, obviously going as CBRE, bringing the account team on, on the data center side. And we had this meeting, there's probably about eight people in this meeting and everybody in the meeting, including us as the data center, the, the facilities management side, the advisor and the customer, everybody in that meeting worked for CBRE, including the customer. And, and I, you know, they all had a CBRE business card and I, you know, it takes a while to understand how yeah. that can happen. You think, but it's why, quite common, why, are we, you know? why are we having this conversation then? Yeah, yeah, but it's great because you all work for the same company, but you've all got completely different priorities. So you've got to try and find common ground, and you've got to try and. So I think it's it, you know it's it's a different environment, but it's um, yeah, it's great. And again, you know, took a lot of learning and 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 um, experience experiences there, which were which were which were fantastic. And um, 
yeah, again, you know, you you, you build relationships and you 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 uh, you take those things with you to the next uh, next challenge, I guess. Yeah, and then and then obviously you moved on to bulk where you are now. Yes. What, what was it that drew you to that one? Because I, I, I guess bulk's probably a, a business that not not many people are aware of. In you know that they're obviously good at what they do, but they're quite specialist in the re- in, a, in a specific region. When you joined, anyway. Yeah, you know, I think um, a, a few things really. I mean, the I, I suppose the, the the co-location sector itself is you know is again there's different facets of that uh, industry. Uh, I've worked around that industry for a long time. I've never worked for an operator. So having worked for let's say design and build company, worked for let's say facilities management, project management part of that that business, and then I was like, well, actually would like to try and work your know, client side, let's say, and see what that's like. And I think that the overarching thing about bulk particularly is very much aligned with some of the global challenges that exist today in the world, which is around climate change and sustainability. And I think, you know, having solutions specifically for that challenge is a massive, a massive advantage. And I think alongside that is the people and the business of bulk fit very much with my view of how, you know, what it takes to be successful. And it's not about having the proven track record, you know, I mean, clearly they're, they're an established business and, and have some some success, but, you know, it's more about the attitude, the people um, and the approach to how they want to grow their business that for me was more about, you know, like if you take it back to the discussion we had about how you build a successful team, it's more about the people and less about the experience. I think that fitted well with my philosophy. And I think, you know, combining the opportunity with the track record with the with the kind of big challenges in our space, it felt like a good move. Um, and you know, it's a similar size business to, to to where I was when I was at Keysource. There's some similar challenges, uh, but very much on a client side um, rather than as a contractor. And um, you know, it's uh, and again an international business. So yeah, that was kind of my main my main drivers really. And it's an exciting challenge. It's a sort of you know sort of medium term project. Um, and um, you know, I think all the ingredients to be massively successful, which is which is you know part of the fun. See, I think it's I think I've personally always preferred being part of the ride than kind of joining at the end of the journey. And I guess that's probably similar to to your mindset from from where you've been and the roles you've had. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I take a lot of, a lot of pleasure and satisfaction in, you know, you know, developing a sort of an approach to get to a destination and, you know, the destination's never reached, right. Cause you're always setting yeah. a future destination, but putting in place the building blocks and, you know, building the teams and, you know, selling, right. The, the success of businesses is through growth. So, you know, to some extent, everybody in a business like that has to be able to sell because you all represent a company and the, and the customers that we're engaging with by the ability of that customer, of, the, of that provider to deliver solutions. And I think, you know, what, what I enjoy doing is helping translate the customer need into services and solutions that, that, um, that mean that we're successful and that we can stand out amongst the competition. So, um, I love being part of that. And, um, you know that's that's what that's what kind of gets me up in the morning and um what i find enjoyable really so yeah and i think having a broad experience in again you know knowing quite a lot of facets in how these projects come to be what things are driving customer requirements and 
you know, how do you deliver solutions for, for different types of technology and stuff is, is also part of the fun, um, solving problems, right? So that's, yeah, that's kind of how, how I came to be at Bulk. Yeah. Um, and obviously you touched on it in your conversation, in your sort of outline on a bulk about sort of some of the challenges around, you know, sustainability and climate change, et cetera. What, what do you think the biggest challenge for the industry is at the moment? Um, I, I mean, you know, putting t- t- to one side this current situation, I think, you know, the, the, the macro, the, the overarching challenges, I think, for the te- let's say the technology sector or the digital sector is, you know, this increasing demand for more and more compute, more and more data. Um, and I think there's a big shift towards high, you know, higher density type applications and, and, and um, higher density infrastructure. So I think you see this increase in demand at the same time as there's a big focus on, on you know, climate change and sustainability. So I, I genuinely think the big challenge at the moment is how do you build a sustainable digital infrastructure um, in in Europe, particularly in an environment which has still got you know lots of fossil fuel energy production, um, real constraints on land, real constraints in some areas on networks. So I think you know the debate about how you do that is still very early. I think, and um, so I, I think that's that's probably the biggest challenge. And I think. You know, places like the Nordics and organisations like Bulk, I think, are, are, are ideally positioned to provide solutions to those challenges over the next three, five, ten years. Um, but the debate's still very early, I think, about, you know, I know, and, you know, we don't have the answers to this, but, you know, the, the debate's still early about how, you know, how real it is to sort of, you know, buy green energy versus consume green energy, you know, develop applications and solutions which should take advantage of you know they could can operate in an environment where latency is not so important let's say where you can then allow those workloads to move um so i think yeah i think the biggest drive is going to be particularly as you come out of this covid situation is you know people's focus on sustainability um both from a climate change perspective but also other sorts of corporate social responsibility elements that um that perhaps in the past have been window dressing or, you know, um, part of some board report, but not really something the company lives and breathes. Um, and we're seeing that now, right? We're seeing companies genuinely trying much harder to move workloads to the Nordics, much more than they would. And it's not purely a financially driven thing where you say, well, it's the lowest power cost in Europe. It's not. I mean, that's obviously a big part of it because there has to be a financial benefit as well, I think. But it's not just that they're putting a lot more effort into finding ways to be sustainable. And I think, I think that's what's going to drive, um, drive certainly the locational aspect of where we, where we look to build data centers in the future. The good thing about Nordics as well is it's always top on the list of somewhere people want to work and want to live. So Nordics, yeah. I think the Nordics ticks a lot of boxes. Um, like you say, it's obviously got the, the energy, sustainability, the you know the climate, etc., for the industry. But equally, it's a, it's a nice place to live, you know, and it, it offers a lot of benefits to families. To uh, so a lot of people do, you know, always ask, "Have you got anything in in the Nordics?" So yeah, and you know, culturally, and <clears throat> there's a lot of like you say, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of benefits to that. I mean, the, frankly, the you know, 
the data center sector is focused on where the people are and you know it's it's obvious there aren't as many people in the nordics so you yeah. know clearly you know it's it's always going to be the case that in our in our geography the flat markets are where you know a lot of this eyeball let's say content needs to be but as as new solution services come online and um you know customers start demanding their providers are more transparent about the impact that what they're doing has on the environment i think that people naturally look to more sustainable solutions and i think that's where you know where the nordics comes up but um you know well, i think to be honest when 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 you know probably iceland uh, to some extent and finland a little bit you know and certainly sweden you know it was like the first wave of well we need to move to the nordics because it's a cold climate and it's cheap energy you know i mean i think it was 28 degrees in oslo yesterday or something my colleagues were uh, yeah. you know boasting on the lovely weather and uh, <laughs> so it's not it's not just about the climate you know it's actually about a lot of other things so yeah i think i think that is the case but um you know, I don't know what happens with some of these hyperscale projects and stuff uh, in terms of uh, their future, but yeah, clearly you see the demand moving south, you know, into newer markets. I think, you know, Google announcing the other day a new cloud uh, zone in, in Spain, I think it was. And yeah. so, you know, and, and, and you know, my, my, uh, my, my boss is very focused on things like, you know, how does Europe solve for some of Africa's digital challenges and some of Africa's you know, sustainability challenges, because I think, you know, if the networks are there, then, then, you know, Europe has a bigger role to play in the data center world than perhaps just serving European, you know, demand. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's to be proven, but um, certainly a good, a good time, I think. And it's, uh, it's good to be part of a sector that's, that's growing and uh, still presents lots of exciting opportunities, I think. Yeah, exactly. I think the demand's so high at the moment that you know geographically there's there's demand everywhere. You know, we we see that daily. You know, new new regions. A lot of talk about tier two regions now, and you know, new 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 areas for quite major data center development. So, yeah, geographically, the spread of the industry is I I think over the last two years has has magnified significantly. We're, we're talking with clients in locations that you ne- I never even thought about talking about just two years ago yeah covid is obviously going to change it a bit it is going to realign certain things but once we move out of it whenever that will be i'm I'm sure that the demand will just switch back to the to the normal locations as as much as it is to new locations so i don't really i don't really see any specific geographies (laughs) seeing a bigger demand than anywhere else to be honest it's no, no, I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, there's always discussions in our space about the next greatest thing and everyone wants to try and design and engineer the most, the next new thing, right? So, I mean, there's other areas of of, of, of focus, I think, around, you know, energy storage and, you know, resilience within, within, let's say, grid scale batteries and the removal of diesel generators. So I think, you know, our industry will have to invent the next new thing in terms of and really embrace the next new thing in terms of design. You know, it was it was direct fresh air and indirect adiabatic cooling and DSIM. And I think, you know, we, we, we but, you know, we, we the, the, the direction of travel is quite clear, I think. Um, demand is going to increase, like you said, geographically spread is going to increase. But I think the focus on doing that in a sustainable way is 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 ultimately going to be more important and is going to, I think, appear higher up on the list of requirements than, than it has done ever before. 
Well, it, was um, definitely, it was definitely the main topic of conversation pre-March when everyone started talking about COVID. Everything was sustainability, looking at new regions based on sustainability and climate change, etc. So it definitely was the hot topic in the industry. And like you say, I think it definitely will be once we can stop talking about <laughs> the issue we have at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think for people coming into this space, if you look you know, back to kind of the there are still the legacy type people you know they're, they're not just the people but the approaches to things you know, people have been in this industry for a long time right a lot of experience but you know pre all of that banking stuff where people were building these behemoth facilities and i think you know the approach is clearly much much different today but the people coming into this sector and the awareness of those people on things that are much more important to them around you know how they interact with people and the impact they have on the environment and just naturally i think those people are going to progress in businesses that are going to then sit on boards to then shape decisions in the future and it's not just going to be about the short-term gains i think i think people are going to make different choices so i don't think we see that yet but i think that's definitely the direction of uh, the direction of travel um and uh, yeah, you know, I think there's, there's, but there's plenty of opportunity and uh, I think, you know, um, space for lots of different, lots of different types of companies and lots of different, uh, lots of different solutions, I think. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so before we wrap up, obviously, we've, just one question I like to ask everybody. Uh, I'm always asked this question. So I thought I'd ask uh, people within the industry to give us some decent answers. So no pressure. <laughs> If you could give one piece of advice to those looking to work in the sector, what would it be? Um, I think it would be find an opportunity to to gain experience across the broadest spectrum of, of this space as possible. You know, so early on in your career or early on in your work experience, try to get as much experience across different elements of this space. Um, two reasons one i think you'll then find what you like and what you don't like uh two what you learn you can apply to what you then choose to do um and uh, three i think you'll get to meet a whole range of different you know different people um i think and and i think to take that advice one step further i think there is not enough in this space of people doing let's say job share type activities you know so yeah, I think what companies can do to make themselves more attractive and to be more successful i think is also to give senior people in those businesses and other people an opportunity to spend you know, time in other departments. So get, get more exposure to the other teams, how other individuals operate, how the business operates. Yeah, exactly. So if I was coming into this space, that's what I'd be looking for, for opportunity. I'd be saying that, you know, um, I want, I want to get a broad understanding and I want to get as much experience as I, as I can. Um, so yeah, that's, I think what I would say is the fundamental uh, number one, uh, number one thing to focus on good answer well that um, <laughs> i appreciate your time today it, obviously it's uh, it's good to just talk and find out a bit about you know how you evolved in the industry and, and where, where you are now uh, and i think i think your story is pretty good like i said earlier because you you don't come from the the standard engineering background you, you've worked your way through a different route and i'm quite keen to show people that there are different routes in the industry as opposed to being a degree qualified electrical engineer from the Dublin Institute of 
technology, which is yeah, yeah. The majority I mean, I can't say that that wouldn't have helped. I'm not saying, <laughs> but I That's haven't it. got one. So <laughs> might might have been five years ahead. Um, but anyway, no, much appreciate your time. It's it's good to speak. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Catch up again soon. Great, thanks, Andy. Appreciate your time. Rob.